Good evening. You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney, joined tonight by freelance writer Rowan Kaiser and the host of the very good Total Massacre action movie podcast. Rowan Kaiser. Yes. We're doing Drunken Master 2 tonight. With the same lineup, correct? Uh, so <laughs> we're also joined here by our friend, uh, Chef Lubu, Brian Smalley. Uh, but you're recording on Drunken Master right after you do this, right? Yep. We're also we're also picking up a couple other people losing Rob because Rob did not sign up for this one. But uh, all China all the time here. Look, I when they make Straight Edge Master, I will sign up for that episode. <laughs> that's uh, every other kung fu movie, though. That's very true. <laughs> the only one that's a delinquent is the Drunken Master. Uh, but hey, I actually have a major announcement uh at the top of this podcast um this might catch people uh by surprise but uh the content for through moves ahead is now complete and uh i think <laughs> we will all be transitioning <laughs> onto another project based on strategy games uh very soon um we'll have more to say uh later on future podcasts and we'll be able to share more of the direction and scope for uh future iterations of three moves ahead uh but for now the team have indicated uh that we will be increasing uh our focus on the individual and unique games and uh, strategy game experiences that make the strategy space so vibrant and so special uh and so we cannot wait to share with you the plans for more uh three moves ahead but for the moment there will be no more uh for reasons that we will explain at a later date uh and we won't fix any of the bugs from any previous episodes everything clear did that did that all make perfect sense to y'all um you know what that means great Perfect. So I think uh, I think I think we nailed it. That that yeah. that was a perfectly communicated uh, roadmap, and I think we can we can probably call it a day. And that is basically where Creative Assembly left things with Total War Three Kingdoms. They put out a press release and like released like kind of made it their message of the week that they were basically wrapping up Total War Three Kingdoms and transitioning that team to a new project and everything was fine. There was nothing to sweat based on total war three kingdoms, but not like explicitly a sequel. Yeah. And it is also worth noting. I didn't real. I did not see the significance of this. When I first got this email from, from creative assembly, the thing they highlight in that going away message is that they just there were a numerous community requested fixes as well as an important change to the campaign map that sees Mount Song and Hula Pass move to their correct locations. Um and I was like, cool, those those seem like nice tweaks, all all good, whatever. Um and I didn't understand why the community was maybe at first I thought like People were mostly just pissed off because it seemed like they were saying they weren't going to be getting more content for Three Kingdoms. Uh, it was uncertain what the what the future would hold. But it turns out that Three Kingdoms might be in a slightly shakier state uh, right now than it's been in 
at the other points where we've sort of discussed it. And so with Total War Three Kingdoms kind of wrapping up as a live game and moving into a maintenance mode as far as creative uh, assembly is concerned, I thought we'd check back in to look at where the, where the game is at, the various expansions they've made to it, and see if our feelings have shifted at all in the game or 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 what we are drawing from the uh, from the latest content. Uh, so, well, actually. We were planning on doing this anyway, because at the start of the year, you and I were both obsessively playing Three Kingdoms again. Yes. Um, and, you know, we are delighted to obsessively be playing Three Kingdoms. They put out another another expansion. They were continuing to patch. Mods were coming along. This looked like a game that was just kind of on an upward swing. More variety, more options, more start dates, more mods, all those good things. And then... In what April or May? Yeah, we just suddenly get this note saying, like, you know, going out of business, moving to new location. See you, and it's like, what? What? Hang D isn't even in this game yet as a unique character. I, you know, I, I'm I might just be reading into this as you know as a country guy but like that whole email reads like snake oil like that just whole email feels like a hoax like someone's trying to trick me into into some double speak into giving up something i just i hate it i hate everything about that yeah um, it, it's a very strange thing because i think it was it, it's sort of the classic uh you know my my closing down total war three kingdom shirt is raising a lot of questions about <laughs> uh total war three kingdom already answered uh by my shirt that's kind of the the vibe we're in where like i didn't think anything was up until i got that email and i was like that just that's a weird that's a weird thing to say usually i like there was this there was this uh fan backlash to it that seemed like it was like okay these people are being a bunch of fan assholes yeah they probably were you know review bombing is just kind of a shitty thing to do this is still a really good game but like that email that that said that email did not make sense like if you're gonna do a sequel announce a sequel if you're gonna do an expand load announce an expand load this sounds like you're going off to make dynasty warriors i don't know honestly you know who needs this win right now is koei tecmo yeah. get in there announce announce romance of the three kingdoms 15 because the last one was not amazing and then they released like 17 dlcs to make it a full romance game put out put out something because man your dynasty warriors shit ain't doing it right now couldn't hurt yeah i mean this is this is certainly their moment to strike um did, did those dlcs end up making it a good game or or no nah? Yeah, I mean the DLCs ended up making it a much better game. Yeah. Um, you know, it's still like it still had a lot of fundamental issues um from things they had taken out of the game to sell us back as a package. But ultimately I think it was a solid title at the end of its lifespan or you know, now at the end of its lifespan. I don't think it's ever gonna get any more content. But um yeah, I mean, this is so weird and it's like it ain't like they told the whole story of the three kingdoms. I don't know if anyone here has read a book or seen a movie about it. There's a lot. There's a lot of content there that uh, that they did not touch on. They skipped stuff. They jumped over things and then went to other things. I and and I don't know what they're is it you know if they're doing a standalone are they going to be like oh hey here's the actual gene campaign from the people that you like and not the grandsons later that no one actually gave a shit about. Well, so 
And that leads us into this a little bit. Because remember, the other thing that made this weird was they had just released a new expansion. They had just they had just released Fates Divided, mm-hmm. which time skips forward uh, to where Zhao Zhao is making like his first real like play for the throne. It's becoming clear that he's becoming uh, like a major threat to establish his own dynasty, um, which is a bit of a. Yeah, it, it, that is a time skip. Like you were, you were jumping much later in what would be a a Total War Three Kingdoms uh, campaign. You're picking up the story from a later date. It opens with Lubu uh, being executed, and so it kind of felt like okay, maybe this is the way they're going to be developing this. Is they're going to be adding in more start dates and uh, sort of shading in different moments of of the saga, and then immediately they sort of pull the plug on this. However, Rowan, I remember one of the things that informed my reaction to that email about like maybe why this was being wound down was it wasn't clear to me whether that experiment was really succeeding because I, I if I recall when Fates Divided came out, uh, you, you fiddled around with it for a couple weeks and then you announced grandly to the three moves ahead uh, planning channel <laughs> that you had, you had determined after extensive research that the new start date and therefore, basically, the expansion was bullshit. Would you care uh, to elaborate? Well, <laughs> well, it's not necessarily the whole new expansion because it did add a couple new characters. We got we got the the Lews in the far west, um, and we got you know some we got a bunch of Yuan Shao's uh, henchmen added as unique characters, which were like he had no dynasty warriors with him. And he's like one of the four most important warlords in the in the start of the story. And like, you know, Tao Tao has all his whole menagerie. Uh, the Soon family has a whole bunch of people who are all, all got those unique guys. Liu Bei, of course, is, you know, filled with his brothers and all the uh, various other people that propaganda has declared were the greatest warriors of the Three Kingdoms era. Uh and then there was Yuan Chao, who's just sitting there without any, you know, unique characters in the game. And it was clear that they were going to do the Guandu expansion next, which that ended up being Fates Divided. And yeah, they gave him like six new uh, unique characters, his sons, uh, Zhang He and a couple of his advisors. And like that part was, I felt really important as someone who thought that like, these expansions should fill out uh, some of the playable characters, especially the ones who didn't end up winning and becoming three kingdom, the three kingdoms themselves. Um, so by that aspect, I think it was, it was fairly successful, but if I was playing it to play the 200 start date, uh, that was a disaster. Uh, there are two main reasons that it was kind of a disaster. The first is that like Tao Tao, Yuan Shao, and uh, the Soons are just way too big. Uh, mm-hmm. They're, it's like you you're playing them or you're just kind of trying to survive until they actually get mad at you, um, unless you're playing at a much lower difficulty or super super good at the game. Uh, and there's I, Liu Bei probably also has events that allow him to be done that way, but I I've beaten the game as Liu Bei, so have not tried that one. Uh, but the other issue is that Tao Tao starts as a duke. Mm-hmm. And that was like, I saw a bunch of people complaining about this on the forums. It was like, oh, Tao Tao wasn't actually made the Duke of Wei until like 207 or whatever. And I'm like, 
whatever, who cares? Like this is just like a, a stand in for, uh, you know, his power at the time. But then when I actually tried to play as Matug, um, Tao Tao almost immediately became a king and therefore had access to all of those in-game units yeah. that I was trying to fight against with my peasant le- levies. And that was not a terribly fun experience. So basically you have like at the tactical layer, uh, someone who can just create super duper armies and nobody else like has the ability to even come close to those except maybe Yuan Shao with the new new units that he added uh the the northern the northern captains or whatever it is uh so like it's just super duper unbalanced it doesn't actually seem like it would be fun even if it were balanced and i think it kind of leads to the idea that like the way that three kingdoms is designed um it's designed to show the warlord battles of the early stages of the civil war, uh, the 190 to 200 or so before it becomes clear that Cao Cao is, is in game at some level. Uh, it's not really designed to do the three kingdoms as uh, a unique strategic um, experience. And so my initial reaction in seeing this was that, oh, they might be doing a, you know, expand alone. That's, you know, a three kingdoms game where you are specifically you pick one of those three kingdoms and it's designed entirely around working that way. And maybe that is what they're doing. But I kind of welcomed that. But then I also like looked at all the super famous warriors that they still had not included as unique characters. I looked at the bugs that uh, were not being fixed and in fact being made worse, as Rob discovered. Uh and it seemed like it was just like, okay, the people have asked for more gates, so we're adding more gates. Okay, bye. And that's really not great. And I don't know. It also feels like just the fact that they didn't announce what they were doing with any kind of specificity was really dumb. <laughs> I just don't know why yeah. they would do that. So uh, I did play with Cao Cao a little bit in the uh, face divided period. I'll, I'll talk to that. And I'll speak to that in a couple minutes. But uh, Brian, I'm curious because we haven't checked in on your vibe around Total War uh, Three Kingdoms in a while. Um, I know you've been returning to the game a bit, but like where ha- like we've had a negative start and like obviously the messaging uh, from Creative Assembly has sucked. But I am curious, like where are you with the game in terms of like how much you enjoy it as a pick up and play experience these days? It really just depends on who I'm playing as and what uh, I'm aiming for. I, I when uh, when the divided stuff came out, I went and started trying to play through as uh, Sunsa and uh, and the gang, and I just found that it was like a massively uphill sort of experience. Um, I don't know, you know, I assume y'all have played Sunsa at least a little bit, or or maybe mm-hmm. you haven't, but it's it's a uh, it, you are under a constant barrage of attacks from massive armies and you have to keep fighting nonstop to maintain his, uh, his unique mechanic, which is that he has like a battle fervor. The, the, the more battles you're in, the more consistently you fight, the stronger he is. And then based on the history, if you get too low in your battle fervor, he just gets killed. He just dies. And that is, uh, it's it's a mixed bag um i like the battle for every kind of thing i like the idea of like him staying alive by fighting but also like it's 
it it gives a little fatigue to the player Dude. to like constantly have to have to like push that and like never have a chance to like you can't get a break turn you can't sit there and go okay i'm gonna take two turns three turns and figure out my my economy you're just like oh i gotta buy zotai i gotta go in i gotta keep fighting i gotta get more units and and it's just a very sort of exhaustive experience where i don't think that any sort of um casual total war fan is really gonna engage with that um i think that it has a much higher skill cap despite the fact that i think it's like a medium difficulty campaign according to creative assembly i did really like south south stuff i always like south south stuff i'm kind of biased uh but i really enjoyed uh his stuff but also i think his stuff's pretty easy um by comparison and i think that uh, i think that you know like rowan i'm deeply upset about the lack of pangda uh just in general and in general like the lack of a lot of still core characters that are very important that just seemingly never got art assets for them um i think that like this whole this whole shtick of like oh you got to rely on the on the ca fans to mod in stuff i hate that like i love that they do it and i love that they're passionate about it but i hate having to like go to unofficial mods to get like the official artwork or or you know whatever creative artwork um for these characters who are central figures in the lore and so i i have a i have a mixed relationship with it um i think that more I think that CA needs to really, when they go back to Three Kingdoms, if they go back to Three Kingdoms, I assume they will because it was very profitable for them. I, I think that they need to spend more time um, actually like putting in that effort where that, those are the, that's what the fans want. The fans of Three Kingdoms want that stuff. And the fans of Total War became fans of Three Kingdoms, and they want that stuff more too. So, uh, you know, hopefully they can get a hold of Raph de Crispney again. I know that he was a consultant originally. Um, and I know that his books are very expensive, so it would be neat of them to do that because I think that that was a really cool – that was a drawing point for me. When they said we got Raptor Christmas to do like all of our – to talk to us while we made the game, I was like, I'm buying that game. I don't care if it's dog shit. Like I just want to see what it's about. Um, but they – I think that they stopped too early and maybe they – they stopped early and maybe they diverted half the team to Warhammer three or what have you. But like, I feel like this just, it feels unfinished. Um, the Gates thing is, is ironic. Uh, I think it's funny. Um, and I can talk more about the eight gates formation and its mythology if you want. But I, I think that, uh, I think that just in general, my feelings are, are very mixed still. Um, and honestly, I think I'm, I'm lesser on the game now yeah. than I was on release. This kind of crystallized for me also i'm kind of tired of an environment and strategy games where you kind of have a window you have to make hay while that game is good because you gotta hit you gotta you gotta eat your fill before the developers subsequently ruin the game with an ill-conceived expansion uh or like alterations to core mechanics that were just like poorly thought through and have knock-on effects like i hate that to enjoy european Universalis, i have to like pull up the index of like old patches to be like okay so when was this game good <laughs> what which version do i need to play to have fun uh hang on uh google when did estates uh come out for for so you they I've fixed the states <laughs> but they I've still couldn't the be term, there oh I've coined the term speedrunner's paradox, right? It's when is this game in the perfect state for the fans' enjoyment, not the perfect state for the developer's satisfaction? Yeah. 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 
Well, I mean, I think if we look at Three Kingdoms specifically, the expansions that they've released are really hit or miss, especially compared to something like Warhammer. And I think a lot of that is that this is kind of a... If this weren't such a massive thing, especially in China, where, you know, they want to they want to make inroads there, uh, as every game developer pretty much does, um, they probably would have released it as one of their like little Total War chapters like Troy or whatever, uh, because it is a fairly limited idea. It's a civil war in China. All the all the major factions are playable at the start if you just buy the vanilla game and they're just kind of coloring in in the corners for the expansions. And some of those work and some of those have not. Like their first expansion was the one that went forward 100 years to the Suma family civil war, mm-hmm. the eight princes. And like people were like, what the fuck are you doing? Why did you go there? We want, you know, these other characters and these other start dates. And I think that may have kind of scared Creative Assembly. To be fair, maybe it should have scared them. I still have not actually played that campaign. Um, it's real it flat. Seems, it, it seems weird to me that, like, I don't know, like, just everyone's a, a Suma. And I don't, dude, I don't necessarily the, like. that. That campaign feels so weird to me. Uh, just because that that one does have like Total War Saga vibes, where it's like, okay, I, I recognize the map, and now just everyone I care about is gone, and we're all we're all Sumas, and we just it, it's like, do you just want to it, like what it feels like is abstract starting positions is kind of how it feels like, it, yeah, it feels like if you were gonna make a comp mode or something where like ah, who is truly the best uh, commander of, of Han forces. Um, well, you go there and you play this like sort of deathmatch uh, version of Total War. But yeah, it, that wasn't wasn't amazing. Uh, and, and there's no real connection to it, be- in part because you don't get to that stage of the story in the, ma- the main campaign. You can finish that campaign and not have any sense that like when these like uh, Sima characters appear... That, like that's that's full of portent right yeah those, those are the guys who win and this is a problem with like every three kingdoms game uh especially a grand strategy level three kingdoms game is that you have to figure out a way that way becomes the dominant uh kingdom and that they will be betrayed from within by a dude who's just like not nah, these the the south family kind of sucks these days i i want my people to take over and like Doing that without like a ridiculous set of events to lead directly to it has proven essentially impossible. I don't think a Romance of the Three Kingdoms game has done it. I don't think this game does it. This game is built like most of the Romance of the Three Kingdoms game to be done around 230 to 234, which is when pretty much all the major characters end up dying, uh, particularly Kong Ming, who is the the point of view character for the second half of the novel. Um And so, sorry. uh, And so, like, this goes back to what I was saying about how it's kind of built around that initial warlord burst of uh, action in the the 190s or so after Dong Zhuo essentially destroys the Han. And um, because of that, uh, like, I feel like maybe them trying to focus on a late game Three Kingdoms experience is where they were 
moving towards and they realize that they couldn't actually do it, but they should probably actually just say that if that is their problem. Um, go ahead, Brian. I can get yeah. back to the no, no, expansion. Sorry, yeah, yeah. I, I just, it is, um, what you're saying was just, it's just like, it's weird. Like I, I don't understand how they thought that they should jump to the suit, the family at the end there. I don't, the, the eight princes, I do not understand who in their design process was like, Oh, you know, what would be dope is go to the family. No one knows about, nobody gives a shit about and has never been featured in any erotic stuff for good reason. And that is what the fans are going to really love. But the idea of a Romance of the Three Kingdoms battle royale did make me laugh. Yeah. But, well, I mean, I, I've said from the start, they should have a random mode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that would be fucking fantastic. Maybe a modder will manage to figure out a way to do that. Well, um, so, but, uh, it's also interesting to go along with what Brian just said that like there is a, an actual major civil war with a bunch of characters who are not all in the same family with almost identical names, uh, like immediately after the eight princes deal, like that's the the sixteen something or others, and then also I I would love it if they went back in time and did a warring states version of this. They've got a great map. You can move some cities around and, and add some different heroes and stuff. And that would be, I think, that's an aspect of Chinese history that I have been curious about and would love to go into. But like I, eight, eight Princes is not one that ever really comes up. Well, let me throw yeah. this in there as well. I think maybe, you know, when, when you're saying like, well, they could do this and they go here and I, I, I'd, I'd like to see this. I think maybe they also create like, you can sort of see the roadmap they may have been moving down was this like we're going to keep filling in start dates. When you go to the like launch new campaign thing, that little timeline bar at the bottom has an awful lot of space off to the right where you could have filled in later dates. Even now with like Fates Divided, there's clearly real estate reserved for all right, like clearly they will do warring states at some point. That appears to be off the table, but I do wonder if it sort of occurred to them at some point that the issue they're running into is that by doing this timeline model of like, there's different chapters in the campaign and you can pick an earlier date and move through these chapters. That model for how the game could look was flawed. uh, Because yeah, that's like when they did mandate of heaven. um, And that's the, that's the one where like the Han collapse, it all goes to shit. I played that before they patched it. And uh, I thought like um, the 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 Han Emperor uh, Lu Lu Hong, yeah. Lu Hong. Um, I thought that campaign was interesting at that moment. It was kind of cool. It was kind of white knuckle. I thought kind of surprisingly easy to breeze through. Um, but the the issue was, I was like, okay, well, I just I just stomped, I stomped these dudes. Like nobody can. The Han survived. Now, now, what am I going to do for the rest of this game? Like, they already gave me the short campaign victory. I guess I can just roll up on some of these people who are, who are you know, coming at the king. But it's not going to go well for them because I got all the Han shit. I got, I have all the like end game units uh, at my fingertips. It's not going to be hard. They patched that, but in my most recent like journeys through the game, I decided, well, you know, I never did give the yellow turbans a fair shake. I want to check out these these what what happens with these earlier start dates. And there's kind of two issues that I can see. 
One is that not all of those early start date mini campaigns, the ones that really fulfill a narrative purpose, not all of them are that interesting. Like the yellow turbans are conceptually cool, but it's real hard not to just wreck house as the yellow turbans if you know what you're do you are doing in the mandate of heaven period. Now, if you play the yellow turbans later on when that rebellion's mostly been broken, then you've got a, a much harder uh you know game to play. But if you're playing, you know, Mandate of Heaven, the the start of the story, the yellow turbans uh whoop a lot of ass. But then once you've done that, again, what is left for me to do that is interesting in the rest of this grand campaign? Like what what am I going to do now that the yellow turbans effectively dominate China and you have this series of like alliances between yellow turban factions? what is left to do for the remainder of the running time of this campaign. Um, and plus there are mechanics. I swear to God, there were mechanics, of the yellow turbans that appear just break. Um, they have their own sort of fervor mechanic where they mm -hmm. need to sort of, you know, keep, keep rolling, keep fighting people. Um, eventually because they like wreck everyone, they run out of people to fight. So you just inevitably start losing fervor, but I couldn't, see any consequences with that i kept seeing warnings that like hey you're gonna have um you're going to have a lot of unrest because fervor is diminishing it didn't seem to matter and i was checking like province details and i wasn't getting the penalties that it seemed like i should have been having or they were so easily mitigated that it didn't really matter so all those early start date campaigns i think the classic total war model would have been um like a follow the samurai type campaign where you hive off this part of the story same map but like just a different campaign different overarching like narrative i think that's probably well, how total war would have handled this in the past here they try to have you move like linearly through the entire time period of the saga and it just doesn't really work when you hit those chapter breaks no i think yeah, this is this is what i was sort of getting at because um two of the next Two of the next uh, expansions that they did, uh, with the exception of the 194 one, which I think is their only purely successful one, uh, are basically these mini campaigns in a lot of ways. Uh, and those are the the Yellow Turban one has like the Yellow Turban mini campaign that you could also play as the Emperor. And uh, then there's the Nanmon campaign, which I know you and I just did not want to engage with at all, Rob. I don't know. Brian, did you play the Nanmon much? Uh, I did not play the non much. No, I don't. All right. Know. Len's so, the yeah, only like, one of us who likes it, and we know why that is. Yes, there is a fire goddess. Uh, and well, and you know, also, you, there's you would really think that like, might work. There's, there's barbarian mechanics. I and tried to are, play yeah. the. I did try to play the Namon campaign. I did not. I played as uh, Shamoke, and I think I got completely destroyed in like four turns. And I was like, oh, yeah. okay, this is tough. Look at this Shamoke. <laughs> Shamoke got. Yeah. Shamoke got shapoked. He got ruined. So I was like, all right, man, I'll try something else. So um, they have these kind of mini campaigns attached, but they also go into the main map. And like, if you were going in to play as those things, uh, if you want to say, okay, I want to play the Emperor and it also looks like it's going to be a total war game after I do this one little thing, then you'll probably end up like Rob, which is pretty disappointed. But the other, the other major issue with the 182 start specifically is that the yellow turbans are just unbalanced in general. Like, if you are not, as the player in the North, ready to just 
fight them and stunt their growth from the beginning and actually make them like a thing that you could go up against head to head, they will just run over the map. Like I tried to play as Liu Biao in the 182 start. And by the time I got my army up north, like the yellow turbans had basically already taken the capital. Um, but if you play as Liu Bei or the other Liu, Liu Zi, I think, um, or maybe Liu, the Black Prince dude, Liu Kong. No, not Liu Kong. Uh, yeah, I don't remember. But uh, if you play as that guy, or if you play as Cao Cao, who can get some events that allow him to have uh, a base in the northern part of the map, then you actually have a chance to play that campaign and... Smackdown, the Yellow Turbids, it kind of segue into a traditional Three Kingdoms campaign. But everyone else who they say is playable in that campaign is really just window dressing. It's not, it's either not fun or it's really difficult or probably both. Um, and the other issue with it is that the Yellow Turbids are so powerful that they're still around causing fervor until like, 20 years later when, you know, that rebellion was knocked out in a year or two. And then there were just sort of remnants around that the game already modeled. Uh, it's. And you hit a point where you're like, sorry, I got to invade you because you're not taking care of business with the yellow turbans in your borders. And I can't have that anymore. That, that, that unrest yeah. has to go. And so the game turns into whack-a-mole because it's like, I'm so sick of dealing with these fucking like rebellions. Cause every rebellion is a yellow turban revol- revolt, which like makes them potent. And it makes it, makes it feel like, ah, all of China is rising up at the start of that campaign, which is cool. But like, yeah, when it's 20 years later and it's like, okay, well, I guess I overtaxed these peasants slightly. And, uh, once again, the, the divine inspiration of the yellow turbans, uh, has caused another uprising. But it's also that while the yellow turban rebellion is active, um, the diplomacy of the game is kind of set to just make people fight the yellow turbans. So you're not actually like starting the civil war against the other characters too much. You are basically like racing to be the first one to knock out the yellow turbans. They're pretty much the only guys you're fighting. It's it's just kind of it feels kind of like a, a half campaign until you actually manage to take them out. And then you're like, you know, most of the way to three kingdom status. Yeah. I think that the that when you're playing with uh, Zhang Zhao and the yellow turbans, I think that they they designed Sun Tzu's campaign uh, as like a, this is the fixed version that's more balanced uh, where they were like, okay, he's going to have a fervor bar, but his fail state is actual failure. Not just like, Oh, the taxes are down. Uh, but they also were like, you have to fight everyone and anyone that comes in to touch you, which is not exactly how the Wu family and the, the Sun family fought. Whereas with well, the yellow turbans, you knew they were like going to go ape shit on every, in every direction. And by doing so, they prevented other people from making alliances. And so, I think that it is, um, I you know, to jump back, I do think that there are other issues with Sun Tzu's campaign. But also I think that that is where the, the Yellow Turban campaign is actually, like, working as intended. It's just that they, they should just end it when you have done you done thing you killed the emperor it's over good game hypothetical here's a cgi cutscene. like one of the nice things about the, the dynasty warriors hypotheticals is that they end and then you just get a nice cutscene and it's over and you can go do something else <laughs> you know it's like yeah. oh someone took the time to make a cgi cutscene where the entire 
Wu guys go have a crack open a couple cold ones and watch the meteor shower. And like, you know, maybe someone at, and this speaks broadly of the Three Kingdoms, Total War Three Kingdoms, is that like, it needs a little bit more romance in, in the whole thing. It just needs a little bit more of the romanticization because it feels like even between the romance and the history, the only real difference is like general strength. It's not, it's not in the nature of the game or the characters. Like, I don't feel like if I beat the campaign with, with Shamoke that I was rewarded appropriately for it. Like with the amount of effort that I have to put in to do that. I don't feel like if I keep Sunsa alive through the entire campaign and become the new Han emperor that I was given a reward for that. I was given an achievement, but like, it doesn't, eh, it doesn't, doesn't do anything for me. Like they, I don't need all that. Just, you know, get me to the point where it's like, Oh man, he managed to keep Zhang He alive with a uh, Sao Sao. And so you get a little cutscene, and he, they're there. Like, that's fine. That's all I want. Or- and I think that the game on the whole, uh, and I, I'm jumping back. Cause you guys were talking about the linear nature and the long, the length of the campaign and the big blank spots on the right side. And I think that like, like the three kingdom stuff, is 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 wider than it is long and there's more stories to tell in a very small period of time than there are compelling stories in a long period of time and i think that like they could have spent more time doing really intricate side stories of characters that we've all come to enjoy than going out of their way to find families down the lineage that are semi interesting and i think that like that goes into not just the storytelling and the campaigns, but also in the nature of the of the combat and in general. I think that like the you know one of the big fights for the Three Kingdoms period for me that sticks out in my mind is the fight between um, the Peach Brothers and, um, and against the uh, Yellow Turbans when they had to get a magician to sacrifice a pig uh, and they're fighting in a canyon between two like tall uh, walls basically surrounded on both sides by rocks and they have to they have to stop the magic that's collapsing their armies and creating thunderstorms and stuff and it's like I didn't get any of that in this game and I didn't get uh, a lot of other sort of mysticism in this game I didn't get Sunsa uh, going uh, 40 bouts with ta- with Taishisa I didn't get uh, Saurin charging out of the castle to save his uh, his his um, subordinates single-handedly um i you know and i think that the that those micro stories that are really cool i think that by missing those things and missing the opportunity to give me any of that uh, i think that the game is lesser about the three kingdoms than they would have us believe well this is this is one of the issues and both the strength and weakness of three kingdoms when it was released right is that it is like a playground within the three kingdoms setting more than it is a retelling of the Three Kingdoms story. And if you're playing as that original start date or the 194 start date, it's like a really strong effect playground for like, oh, if I know about these characters and I can put the stories together in my head, like, okay, what happens if Yuan Shu survives and becomes a major power on the Central Plains instead of Cao Cao just dominating everything. This causes these little effects all throughout the map. And at the strategic level, that's really interesting. But at the like personal storytelling level, it was always really blank. Like there are a couple events. um, If you play as uh, a faction that has uh, Zhao Zilong, uh, 
he'll just like constantly get events about how he like went and saved a baby and ran around like uh, one of those things. And it's just like, it's just like a paragraph of text and he gets 2000 experience for it every 10 turns. It's very strange. Uh, you don't get a little cutscene about it. You don't get anything along the lines of, you know, the the dynasty warriors like all right you you managed to trigger an event when you put this character in this one place and like this is fine by me for the most part as someone who wants that playground it does it like knows the characters it can be like oh yeah i just had zhao yu like fight off a thousand guys single-handedly to defend the gate of uh this city this is like full-on greatest hero of the three kingdoms bullshit and i love it um but like if someone doesn't have that pre-existing relationship with him then it's just kind of okay here's a bunch of names on a map doing some stuff there's no like you know i one of the characters that i fell in love with when i was playing dynasty warriors 3 way back in the day was uh gan ning who i know brian you you think is actually a complete and total asshole and you know maybe he was but in the dynasty warriors 3 version he like pops up and introduces himself for the first time with this little cutscene shouting like i'm god egg of the bells and i'm gonna fuck you up or whatever and it's just like whoa this guy has bells but he's also a badass i love this guy uh and this game doesn't really have anything like that it's like okay if you have a character that you managed to play with for 20 years and he gets up to level nine, then he's going to be a badass and you're probably going to like him. But it's not like uh, it. It's not like they become these personalities on their own in a way that um, is terribly effective. And that's. Like I said, it's fine for me, but it's a major issue for people who aren't like fully invested in the three K mythology. So, yeah, yeah I, I think maybe one thing you'd almost have to lean into uh, to fill in some of these like lines of play is uh, you almost have to be willing to write your own fanfic mm -hmm. for how this all unfolds. Like I was thinking about the end of the yellow turbans. If they've won, it's like, congrats. You created dungism uh, like 2000 years ahead of time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And which is already kind of a weird interpretation where it's like, ah, the fanatical yellow turbans. What were they fanatical about? Um, socialized health care. Yeah, a, a socialized health care and a mercantilist economy. Great. Yeah, from what um, I remember from the book. Yeah, uh, they're just they're, they're just wild uh, for just better administration and, uh, you know, and, and, and more more opportunity uh, for. Uh, the 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 petty bourgeoisie um, uh, tax preferred healthcare savings accounts. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's kind of it's so weird when you like you play the yellow turbans and you're like, hey, these guys might actually be kind of the good guys, which is a pretty defensible position. But then you look at how the game interprets that, and it's like, and they're just trying to create a neoliberal order, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> before its time has come. And I'm like. I feel like you're probably not getting hordes of like fanatical to the death soldiers. If the platform is basically like we should improve society somewhat. Um, but 
that's neither here nor there. But you have to be willing to imagine then, okay, so if the Yellow Turbans win in this early campaign from their start date, what becomes the driver of drama throughout the rest of this period of upheaval? Like, if you're going to say, well, here's a, no matter what, China's in for decades of warfare here. Um, well, if some of the early players win their early challenges, what becomes the way that the cookie would crumble that you would have unrest driven in other ways? The game doesn't really come up with satisfying answers to that and a lot of times it feels like the mandate war era ends with just kind of an unsatisfying like i guess it's sort of ended um and now we're just into a different stage of the game uh but it, it kind of feels like that was just a, a prologue uh and isn't really in, informing what's what's happening um and so yeah i i feel like the start dates thing I think it was a a bold stab for the Total War series to try to create, like, instead of creating every moment and putting it in its own DLC, uh, they try to create something that has the sweep of history. Um, but that doesn't really come off here. Uh, oh, I, just, no. I just want the fucking game I just want the to game. have everything I want. <laughs> it's too much to ask. Well... Uh, or at least be upfront that you're not going to have all this stuff and then just, don't like create kind of broken ass shit everywhere yeah you you know they have a they have a person whose job is narrative designer right but the yeah. narrative's already written well and it, i just i don't just I, I still kink in the mind of it like yeah. why would the okay so why would the Zhangs have turned against each other like right. if the, like the three brothers if the yellow turbans get what they want how does it fall apart because guess what history gives us no shortage of examples of like revolutionary movements immediately falling into their own flavor of civil war yeah it writes itself but for whatever reason they don't because it's like well okay we now we need to get into uh the main campaign where the han fall apart and uh you have these these warlords rising but that doesn't make any sense if the revolutionary if the revolution fundamentally succeeded what becomes more interesting is like well the revolution now fractures and the warlords who would have been vying for their own power are now kind of being forced to interact in their own way with these yellow turban factions um that could be really cool but that isn't what happens instead it's more like everyone just kind of gets increasingly chill with the yellow turbans and the game just kind of trucks on. Yeah. They never, they, it just never reconciles with a lot of stuff. The fact that Sunsa's uh, win and loss condition, even after you've taken over 90% of the country is still like, you better keep fighting or he's going to get an arrow in the yeah. back. It's like, surely, surely at the point at which he is surrounded on all sides by an entire country's worth of armies, he is not going to take an arrow to the back if you if you stop fighting for five minutes. Yeah, if we've hit and that yet, point, I think we can say he interpreted the prophecy correctly and in fact is <laughs> not going to die like a punk. Right. It's just um, it just feels like they just were like, We got a great premise. Do we have an ending? No, but we got a great well, premise. I also feel like um fervor mechanics or or um rage or whatever. Yeah. This has become increasingly like Total War's answer to like 
design problems and campaign variety, but I don't think it's a good one. Like, cause this is how they, this is how they model the orcs. So the orcs have to just remain, um, at wah forever. Yeah. Um, like the, they're like, we got one mechanic and we just apply it to whoever we can. Yeah. And it, it's barely interesting for orcs, uh, because to your point, it's just tiring, man. Like, yeah, you want to make progress, but you don't want to have to fight a full dress battle two times a turn uh to be able to sustain that pro- that, that progress and even in situations where i had an overwhelming force it's like non-stop like yo this is gonna be a pyrrhic victory it's like how or my did i hire nothing but morons like what is what is the scenario in which every fight is a pyrrhic victory yeah you like i just you're constantly it, forced to fight those battles yeah and it's just it's just where's then i i am I would have liked to see, I want more fights with smaller armies on smaller maps, and I want them to fucking be more interesting. Well, I this want, is, yeah. That's the other want, thing, is Total War can't, if you don't feel the full stack, you're an idiot. That's kind of how Total War works. Um, and it feels like they all, they, they tried to make it make sense where it's like, no, like sometimes... Lu Bu would just roll up with a with a handful of picked men. That should be viable in this game. But that's not the game you built. That's not the franchise. And so you have all these mechanics for like bring out this retinue, uh, you know, raise more small armies. But there's no real upshot to raising a bunch of small armies. Yeah. Yeah, it you know, it's like I think that it's just like with the material that they're they've decided to make a game for, they should have put more effort into figuring out ways to make that material work. And if that meant changing certain battles or making certain caveats in, in certain conditions, I think that that's would have been a better choice. I think that like I think it would have been really interesting. And I, I don't know if you remember the if you remember how the Dynasty Warriors fight turns out, where you're playing as Xiao Yun and you're running from Cao Cao's forces to protect uh, Liu Bei's kid, and it's like that winding snake path where you're constantly being uh, assailed by new waves of enemies. And it's like I, I I think that that's really cool, and I think there are ways to make that work in the Total War formula. Um, you know, with with you know. I'm not a game designer, but I, I bet it. I bet it could work. I, I bet it could. I bet I could fucking hammer out something. Um, or, or you know, like I said, the 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 Sauron thing uh, where he saved his troops. I think that like, you know, that res- he goes out and saves his troops. He brings them back in, and then he manages to rally his troops, and they manage to rout the enemy army. And while that is very mechanically precise uh, for a game like Total War, where you're kind of like slowly moving folks around uh i do think that that is i think that those are really cool narrative fights and there aren't narrative fights it the game doesn't do narrative scripted battle stuff really yeah you know give zhang liao magic let him fucking cast spells everybody in total war has spells you call you said it's romance of the three kingdoms so let him do the romance shit I don't know that I love the narrative battles that much in Warhammer. I don't know. It's I think mean, I'm just I'm not, people like Warhammer more than I do. That's the that's the real thing. I'm not saying like copy what Warhammer does. Yeah. I just think that like I think that like there are 
you know, the content already exists. You just need to adapt it and adopt it into the, into your formula and make it your own. Um, you know, if I'm, if I'm fighting, there's no, there's no part of the game that gives you something in the middle of battle that you didn't expect. So like when I'm fighting, uh, if I have an army, if I take Sun Tzu's army out and I go out to fight someone, you know, someone near my home base, at no point does any character who eventually joins Wu show up out of the blue with his contingent and join me in the battle. Despite the fact that things like that, events like that occurred within the Three Kingdoms, where... Yeah you know armies were marching in mass everywhere and occasionally they would come across a battle and then join and decide who they were going to fight on behalf in the midst of the battle and a lot of like things like roaming brigands like um hong uh not hong guy but hong um hong shu of Wei, like that dude was a bandit who just decided that he had he was like i'm gonna be the most like moral paragon of war uh, you know, prior to Guan Yu showing up, and he just decided to join Cao Cao out the blue. But in in Total War, it's like, well, I gotta move a unit to this town and then spend 3,000 gold to pay for Shuang uh, Hu, despite the fact that that's not, um, you know, consistent with the lore, and then I have to pay him a salary, <laughs> or like Dian Wei, or any of those guys. It just feels, I don't know, it just feels bizarre yeah i don't know i you know everybody likes different things but they should like what i like they <laughs> should like what i like some people don't like dynasty warriors and it's okay being wrong is not a crime yo they have said nothing about dynasty warriors nine empires there have been no videos there's no footage of it in existence uh they announced it with six pictures and then it disappeared again they didn't show it at e3 I am so confused about Dynasty Warriors Nine Empires. I think um I also it also feels like uh Musuo games are a harder sell than they used to be. I mean, I talked to a little bit on Twitter with Austin about how good um Hyrule Warriors 2 is and how a lot of the things that they put in that game were things that should be in Dynasty Warriors 9 that would have made that a good game. And if you put them in Dynasty Warriors 10, it will be a good game. And it just seems like for some reason they're spending I mean they're obviously the budget when they get the the collab with Nintendo probably is higher than the budget on a yeah. on a flat DW, but like these mechanics that they have in in Hyrule Warriors 2 are very mm-hmm. very good and they would fit in with with um dynasty warriors without breaking the narrative and it just seems like i don't understand why i don't i don't know what the deal is there i don't know what they're doing rowan what's up with dynasty warriors nine empires i don't know i'm still working on eight eight's so good i don't know about that but it's apparently so better than nine eight xl is did you get eight xl yeah. on steam i i like it a lot I, I miss five. Yeah, well. I feel so like five had the best like organization of the campaigns, like the little mini campaigns for each character. That's mm-hmm. the way I want to play that game. 
Yeah. By the way, you know what dawned on me though about like games about like establishing big dynasties and everything? It's the same problem across the board. The person who eventually forms the, the enduring dynasty is always just some fucking rat bastard who just swoops in at the end. Uh, hey, are you talking about Sumaya right now? Because that man faked being sick for 20 years just to fucking stunt on Sao Sao's grandson. That's kind of okay. rat bastard behavior, though. But think about it. Like, it's called Nobunaga's ambition, right? Yeah, it ain't called yeah, yeah. Tokugawa's triumph. Yeah. Because <laughs> fuck that guy. Well, Nobu gets to be on the cover because of his ambition. Even if he failed, he gets to be uh, the central character for most of Dynasty Warriors. Well, the, the other thing is that Sumi, like, his grandson is the guy who actually takes over. Uh, just kind of picks up the pieces, and as soon as he dies, that dynasty goes to shit. Like they only last for like thirty 50. solid years, and most I don't of even that is thirty. Yeah. yeah, most of that is spent on that eight princes civil war. So like it's, uh, they do not at least get the dynasty to last the test of time or stand the test of time because. Uh, China's actually in civil war for basically 400 straight years from the yellow turbans on. Yep. We could have had, we could have had uh, Wang. Um, what's her last name? We could have a little mini story about Wang Yanji trying to hunt down and kill Ma Chao. And like her whole campaign is just you trying to kill the Ma family off. And I think that would have been more interesting than the eight princes. You just want to kill all the Ma's. You just, I mean, I do. You just Me and her have that in common. <laughs> This is all you want out of life. Yeah, they're assholes. The Julia Claudians, like, also fuck those people. Exactly. Like, see, Octavian should have just like spent his whole life in a locker where he fucking belonged. <laughs> Once in a while, a family of people shows up in history, and it's just like all those people suck. And history is worse for them. So uh, we had a slight uh, tech issue here and uh, are restarting the conversation. But I think that the point that I wanted to get at was that like most of these expansions have not really been successful because they get away from what is the core element of this game that really, really, really works, which is that, you know, early uh early civil war dozens of warlords rising up all at once all with different kind of motivations different heroes on their side different strengths and weaknesses that aspect of the game that comes through in the 190 start and also in the 194 campaign that's fantastic this is you know by far the best game I have ever played at modeling that particular aspect of this element of Chinese history and perhaps just like in general that that anything can happen in a civil war uh, feeling that is very appealing in a strategy game. And, you know, that usually coalesces with, uh, you know, some people being more powerful, some people being less powerful. But yeah, just drop you on the map anywhere there and something interesting will go on um that's you know a high that i've been chasing since warlords in 1989 or whatever and this game is one of the best at it and then you have all these other expansions or start dates or things that kind of make that not really great and 
that's why we're spending our time complaining here when this is by far my most played game of the past two and a half years or whatever it is. Um, but there are also complaints to be had with all the, you know, all the spaghetti that they've added to use the, the EU four fan term. Uh, there's just like these extra things that are not the core campaign and they can't really change that core campaign. Like it's good. It is where it was in the history. You can't go forward in time and have a different, uh, period where there's 20 different warlords. Like it fairly, it very quickly settles into the three kingdoms. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's like this weird element where these expansions in this game as a service are kind of doomed. Yeah. And I do feel like they have tread on the, the toes of the main game, but maybe not because of the expansions. Um, though, like now when I go back and play, there's a couple things that are much more obvious to me. Uh, one is that, so there's Imperial court mechanics now that exist and they're boring. And now they're just part of the game, and I don't like them at all. Uh, you, you, the the emperor will will show favor to one faction or another. You have favor. You can just you can spend favor as a currency. Um, it's not interesting. Like it no. exists to create the sense of ah yes the 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 relationship to the imperial court was was clearly very important uh, to to these characters, but it's not interesting to play around with it's it's a lot like um i don't know what stuff like the college of cardinals was in like older uh european or solace games where it's like it's just a voting mechanic uh and you you can sort of see who is up in the score and who is down but it's not super engaging to interact with but the the bigger issue i have is um there are parts of this game that just don't work as well anymore. And it didn't hit me how bad it had gotten until um, I went back and I, I decided I was going to play Dong Zhuo and just like, I wanted to, I wanted to play the villain and Dong Zhuo has a cool starting location in the main date. Um, you've just burned uh, Luo Yang to the ground uh, and sort of have retreated into the Northwest. And what you are holding on to is a pretty awkwardly shaped uh, area where you, you have a whole, like you're basically in a big corridor, you know, you, you have some, you have a lot of like desolate uh, farmland in the North, but really like the, the, the heart of your empire is a Valley that's pretty long um, and pretty narrow. And the, the the key to holding it and the key to expanding is like you're you sort of have to become the master of these various mountain passes. And it sort of clicked for me that the setup is really cool. Like the locations of cities in these valleys, they become massive choke points. Um, and so like you kind of have to take you have to sort of go city by city and settlement by settlement to keep an offensive going. Uh, attrition in these conditions is brutal. Like if you are just going to try to march up at the, uh, you know, the, 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 the Ma family, for instance, they like winter will kill you. 
you you just you can't keep an army in the field uh long enough to really lay a glove on them unless you lean into like okay i guess here in the mountains uh i really need cavalry the the infantry can't keep up uh with the speed these campaigns need to move at so there's some there's some cool options there but the the thing the game the, the thing this campaign really hinges on are these gates the, the these gate locations which are not real settlements they're just fortified gates uh at various mountain passes tell us about the gates rob well in my experience rowan they don't fucking work um <laughs> and the problem is you think okay well that's a that's an awkward glitch no 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 i mean the entire dynamic of the map in northwest china depends on the gates they are there as the cities function as choke points and also drivers of economic wealth that's true but the biggest choke points are these gates uh that have adjacency bonuses to the the, the commanderies around them but mostly they're there to generate uh either slow grinding sieges or major siege battles and uh for some reason they are porous they are inconsistently porous but it seems like the ai frequently can walk through them as if they are not there and so you will have what looks like a solid defensive line you invested money in upgrading gates and then you will just see someone walk through and attack an army on the other side uh that they shouldn't have been able to attack the gate army can't reinforce it just completely breaks and it's it it doesn't happen so consistently it totally destroys the game but it makes it so that the entire game in the western part of china is no longer solid you know what i mean like if, you, if you're fighting in the east if you're fighting in like the farmland around chen the game is perfect like everything makes perfect sense uh the flow of the campaigns is consistent and you you know how it's going to unfold because it all just works if you move out into western china and the mountains suddenly you're like boy i i hope this works because it just might not and i have to now assume that you you if you it encourages you to play really boring games because if it could just break at any moment you stop taking any chances whatsoever um and so you don't rely on the gates you don't rely on movement being consistent and you basically just try to ignore that area as much as possible until you can go in with like um just bottomless stacks of troops uh and it appears that this is not like fixable it's astonishing that it works this badly but it, it just doesn't work yeah wait when you started bringing this up in the discord john chimed in with like oh yeah that's a known bug with the engine it happens in warhammer 2 also and it's like what why do they keep adding gates then if they know there is a bug with the fact that gates don't work why are they adding gates when they don't need to add gates? Why yeah. are they adding gates when they can just do terrain or or any number of other solutions? <laughs> why why build why build a structure in the game that you know doesn't work when you know it's gonna make less things in the or it's gonna make more things in the game not work? <laughs> that makes sense. 
and that's the thing. And I feel like I don't even remember uh, Gates being that major part of the core game. Like, I remember in my older games, it felt like once you moved into Western China, your adversary was really the mountains themselves. You know, like, it just took forever to get anywhere. Like, armies couldn't easily support each other. You kind of had to pick your valley and move up it. But it didn't feel like you had to clear the series of gates. Um, and now they're, like, central to the entire flow of the game no, and they, they don't work they've added multiple gates i think there were like two in the original game and now there's like five or six and they're all terrible yeah it's yeah. Yeah. it's such a bummer and it, it it i kind of hit a point where i was like okay i guess i'll just play more of the the core game, which now I guess doesn't include parts of the geography of the core map, it's increasingly just like, well, time to head back to Eastern China, uh, and and play around with that. Um, and there's enough there where it's still a great game in those in those base starting locations. But like, there are now parts of the core game that's like, this doesn't work as well as it did when I first reviewed the game. And when it breaks, there's an interesting psychology to it. I don't know why it bugs me so much. Solidity is the most I can I can gesture toward it. Like the sense that is a strategy game and there's core assumptions that you're supposed to build strategy off of. And occasionally they just don't. That just doesn't hold true in this game. That kind of makes everything feel shitty. Well, I feel like there's also like when this game came out, it was you know, deliberately focused on the eastern and northern parts of China. The south was almost entirely blank. It was blank in a really interesting way where if you wanted to use it, you had to sink resources into it. And doing that was actually kind of a trap. So that was that was neat. That was a, a clever way of getting around the fact that they had not populated the south yet and were clearly going to in expansions. Um, but those... Uh, northern and eastern parts were where you were supposed to be. That's where all the main characters started. That's where the Soon family was kind of pointed at. And uh, chances are, if you picked any character in the game, except like Ma Tug, you were going to have a really good time. And then, like, they've slowly expanded the map. They added a bunch to the south. The Soon family can now go any number of directions in the in the two key core starts of 190 and not 194. Um, there's now the playable uh, Liu Zhang faction over in Shu. Uh, there's also the Nanmon. You can you can fiddle around. You can fiddle with them, playing as them or playing against them. There's even Shizi way way down in Vietnam. That's pretty sweet. Like all these aspects of the game are there, and it's like part of my motivation for playing this game is like I would like to be able to beat this game with every faction. I want to see like all the cool shit that they can do all over the place. This is what I want to do with Warhammer. I want to like, I want to know how the Skaven work. I want to know how the dark elves work. I want to know how the humans work. These things are all really fun and cool to do. And like, okay, now I know that Ma Tung is just going to kind of be a shitty experience overall. That's demotivating. Like I wanted to play with everybody. Um, yeah, that it what's what's especially weird about it is that they have added this to the game in a way that is broken and then said, "Eh, 
we're done. Like, You're what? welcome. Yeah. <laughs> we, we we talked a bit. I, I think that um when we were uh, having the technical issues, Rob and I had talked briefly about the fact that like it seems like a lot of these things were like, great idea. Do we have it finished? No. Put it in the game anyway. We don't have the back half done, but we'll get there. And then they never got there. And it's like they, they threw in all these these factions who were like, we have new mechanics for new factions. Here's a new one. Here's a new one. Here's a faction. And then they're like, well, what happens later when you've conquered half the map how is this going to be continuing to be interesting when so when sunsa has conquered 80 percent of china why do i still have to fight non-stop or he's going to get an arrow to the back it doesn't make sense because if I have... he's allergic to arrows you know this <laughs> he is you allergic. know this better than anyone brian his whole family's allergic to arrows but like he doesn't have anybody to stop arrows from getting to him even when he controls 85 percent of china Right? Have you played him in 194? Uh, I did play him in 194, yeah. Okay. Because that one is, that one is, you know, that's what his mechanic was built for. Sure. Uh, That 194 little conqueror thing where he's like just running around, taking over everything and nobody can stop him. And everyone's like, well, fuck, I guess there's a new superpower on the map that we're going to have to try to try to pay off. Um, And then like in the 200 campaign, it's just like, that dude dies within a year. He was yeah. perhaps thinking about invading uh, Tao Tao's capital and perhaps making Yuan Shao wins. And then he just goes and fucks up and gets hit by an arrow and gets poisoned and dies. But you, um, you take his army out at 194 and it's like by one, you know, by 210, you're in control. But you're still like, I got to watch out because there's yeah. someone in the woods waiting for me. Well, when when I played as him and I did. I did beat the game as the soons from 194. Like yeah. I, you know, conquered things for five years. He killed over, and now I've got Soon Tuan. And like, yeah. all right, now I am a nice, stable little mini empire, and just racking in money, getting recruiting everybody, and like I am no longer this super dynamic thing. And like that's a, that's sort of how the story went, and it's also sort of how that game went so i wasn't complaining but like sure. if i had maybe tried to be playing as soon say uh specifically if i were like some sort of soon super fan uh <laughs> then i might be upset i'm not austin walker i'm just like like i just think that like the the way that it's like the game is presented when you play 194 since uh, is like the game is telling you like the goal of this campaign is to keep him alive. The goal of this campaign that you've chosen with this starting point <laughs> is that you are going to defy fate. He's not going to end up like his dad. He's going to live forever and then ride off into the sunset with someone's sister or whatever, or with one of, you know, Sho Yun. But like, it's just feels like maybe the messaging on that campaign is not good, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, like we're talking in the break, um, fury and rage uh, mechanics are just they're way too much like sort of the uh, spackle that Total War kind of tosses in this faction design now where it's like, well, how can we make this interesting to play? OK, what if these guys just have to keep fighting all the time? Um, and so now there's a bunch of games with different flavors of orc in them. And I guess that's that's who Sun is. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, also, Lubu from the 194. Both of them have that like really on a knife's edge. If you don't keep fighting, you're not actually going to succeed, kind of thing. Which I think makes sense for both factions. And if you go into Sunsei knowing that 
at some point he's likely to die from getting bored, uh, then that that's just going to happen. Whereas Lu Bu is Lu Bu is a lot, and that's really interesting. And this is why the one ninety four campaign is my favorite because you have both Tunsei and Lu Bu who like have to keep moving. And also, I think the balance on that is a lot better than the 191. Uh, like, multiple times when I've played, I've had like seven different duchies before we even get to the Three Kingdoms era, which is fascinating to me. Uh, it just like is on that edge where like it could teeter to any point and maybe Yuan Shao becomes the dominant power and maybe Sunsei does or maybe like someone completely random does like kong rong became one of the duchies in one of my games and very nearly one of the three kingdoms so uh yeah i i think they do really well with it like it's it might have some messaging issues but you know those two campaigns the 190 and the 194 are pretty much impeccable to me in terms of if I'm like, God, I need to find a game to sink my my time in for three weeks. Yep, here we are. We are back at we are back at Three Kingdoms, and those things are still fantastic, unless I gotta go into Gateland. <laughs> Going back to Gateland. I think it's just I think that we both have, you know, for, for Three Kingdoms, you know, obviously I have the thing that I love the most about it, which is the narrative, and, and you've really enjoyed the way that the, the structured war plays out. But I think yeah. that like you know, I think that is what it's interesting about the game is, and 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 the source material in general is that it has different things that appeal to uh, everybody differently. I mean, I I like the narrative stuff too, and I. Oh yeah, but I mean, I like my this interactions. Is, this is somewhat of a failure that it doesn't have more of it, but what it does have scratches uh, scratches the 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 balanced map itch that I have when I play strategy games. Mm. Okay. Um. The the last thing I'll say here too is we we alluded to this a little bit um, about face divided being a little bit dull to play if you if you play one of the like there kind of being no really great options because if you're a small faction you're you're too easily going to get rolled and if you're a bigger one um, you maybe start with too much stuff I think one thing that expansion definitely highlights as well is um, so much of this game is about unlocking powerful units but you kind of have to commit to a research, a tech branch to get there, um, which has knockout effects for how you're going to develop your whole empire. But the idea is you, you will not be able to field just tons of high level units until way deep into the campaign. At best, you will have like a strong suit, you know, you'll have like really good shock cavalry. And then you'll have a lot of like middling kind of inventory and archers. Um, when you start one of the later dates, there's kind of a couple things that become clear. A lot of those advanced units aren't, they're cool to play when you first get them because they, they do just feel so badass. And it's like, yeah, look at the, look, look at these, uh, you know, look, look at these dragons or whatever the fuck they are. Uh, the, the the mixed infantry archer formations. They they just they kick loads of ass. Um, those are cool. Turns out that a lot of high level units operate similarly. Um, and they are so out of whack with 
more traditional total war units like spear melee etc that um you kind of can just let them do their thing and you don't have to do much total war commanding to make them good um and you see that really clearly in face divided where right out of the gate uh Cao Cao and and uh yuan chao both can kind of field a lot of really good units um and yeah it does as i'm as i play more of this game like this game does have some late game issues in that the battles become less and less dynamic because their solution to well what's a better unit look like in total war three kingdoms well it's just increasingly unbreakable and it can shoot and it can stab better than anyone else around including units dedicated to shooting or stabbing and that's kind of a problem I and, think. and i, and I, I kind of wish that like the the tactical game were getting more interesting as you went deeper instead of it becoming like well if you got money just field the good units yeah and when you unlock those units like every other unit in the game that's beyond the like peasant levies is kind of gated by level like you have to have your character be level four in order to unlock the sort of elite spearmen uh those things you can recruit to any character at any point in the game regardless of class so if you want to at the end of the game just pick up three completely random generals give them a good army that's entirely an option in a way that's kind of boring uh and like normally by the end of the game i think that three kingdoms does a good job of like still having interesting strategic considerations but also some of the time it's just here is my army template I have in my brain, you know. Yeah. Five of those uh those mixed uh melee and uh missile units, four good cavalry units, and then a bunch of solid units of the line to back them up. Maybe a few a few cheapies in there to just toss arrows at it. But yeah, like it's just like and I can do that. I don't have to like organize which generals are going to be from which classes. Uh, it's just, do I have the money to do it? Yep. All right. Then here's yeah. a, here's another generic Rowan army. Well, this, do you, do you think that, Oh, I what? was just going to say my, my last thought to that was, and this is another reason why it's a bummer that the West is broken. Cause actually there's a lot of good reasons to change up what your composition is. If uh, yeah. you're part of the map, but Brian. Yeah, I just when you started talking about elite units and and the way that that you get elite units in this game, do you ever feel like you wanted more opportunities to use characters from the story uh in a more like you know, more like their 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 real life counterparts? Like did you ever feel like you weren't really getting that fantasy from having those particular characters like you can recruit huang guy but you cannot do any of the things that huang guy is remembered for for in the story and i was just curious if that if that felt like if that felt like something that you guys ever thought about or if it was just like maybe that's just me because i know the names of every character no i i think it is um early in the game like so i was just playing as um i was playing as lu chong and the early part of that game was really interesting because I didn't have a lot unlocked. What I had was a couple really badass generals and a very small number of good units. But like really what the entire thing was hinging on 
was a handful of elite vanguard set uh heroes like basically two dudes two dudes who just wrecked house just would ride down anyone and just shatter them almost on command and if those guys if anything happened to those guys uh or if they were not like being super efficient and just running around routing people i was gonna lose because i needed that like they needed to be killing hundreds of people a battle and they needed to be like keeping the enemy back footed enough to stay alive mm-hmm. and that was really cool because it did feel like um one it was just awesome to watch like these dudes you know you'd they, they'd route a bunch of people you'd sort of corral them and their remaining cavalry and you would launch them again into another part of the line and see that work um and if ever it didn't work and they were getting bogged down you were like oh shit this is this is getting pretty bad those made for some really good battles and then i won a bunch of those battles i bought some breathing room i had a little more money coming in a few more units unlocked and suddenly i didn't really need to do that anymore i didn't really need as many battlefield heroics from the guys because like the good units just turned it into hey like these guys are on a these guys are holding a tree line on a hill and they're gonna be fine and it didn't it didn't leave as much room for the uh the heroic scale of the characters yeah you start it stops being a it stops being a game of characters and gen, just becomes again a game of you know war management i got enough archers for this great i'll be fine do i have enough cavalry cool i'm good but that, there is a certain element of that that kind of aligns with the history right where that's fair, you get yeah. these super duper heroic famous characters in the you know immediate aftermath of the yellow tournaments and the the dong Zhuo coalition and you know these are the guys whose names echo down through the ages and then all their kids are just shitheads like you know these you read the novel and it's like oh man i know you know even even the minor warlords have people on their side like ji ling or um uh, I think Zhang Kai, I don't remember who Lu Zhang's main lieutenant who almost stopped Lu Bei's invasion was, but uh, mm-hmm. like these these little guys who like fought one, one or two battles and then got executed, but like they seem like they're these tremendous heroes. And then by the end, it's just like, well, there are only like two or three guys left in China who seem to actually be worth a damn and they're all on Jin. So uh that's that's the end of the that's the end of the war here sorry uh it, that's fair it's got you get this, down to the you get got, down to the summer kids and then everyone else is dead yeah and it's like uh i think i think during the the little accidental break we had rob was talking about how like octavia needed to be shoved into a locker and like the way that the way that the roman civil war ended was you know like pompey's kids are just like two fail sons running little pirate empires that are quickly put down by Octavian, who's got nothing on Julius Caesar. And like that, that is kind of a way that uh, these grand civil war narratives tend to end is that the guys who are, and girls who are like involved at the very beginning are like the, the giants striding across the world and the people who, who end up with it are you know the generic faces who are randomly generated by the by the uh by whatever god has created these family trees and i kind of like that about this game but i also wish there were at least a few more of those characters running around they were kind of 
properly introduced in the end game. Like the Suma character, the Suma sons are in there, but they're generic faces and they're not actually attached to Suma E. Uh, they're they're not part of his family tree, which may be something that the game just can't do, and that could be part of what they're trying to do with it. But I don't know. It's it's an interesting thing where like, yes, the story. The overarching story of the game gets duller as it goes on, but the overarching story of the Three Kingdoms gets duller as it goes on. The overarching story of most, you know, civil wars like this is it's really chaotic and interesting at the start, and then it becomes just, you know, whoever's going to win slowly slowly knocks that out. And I do think this game does a pretty good job of making the end game interesting in various ways. Uh, the Three Kingdoms mechanic is pretty brilliant. Uh, just, I don't know, it's there's only been one time that I've played, and that was off one of those weird 182 starts where it wasn't like those were three superpowers. Um, I don't know, it's it's a weird issue with strategy games overall and even just describing how, you know, historical massive events work that usually the beginning is way more interesting than the ending. So as we wrap this up, um, cause I know you guys got to do, uh, the movie pod. Um, I feel it's a. I feel like it's been a bit of a bummer, but it's kind of honestly a, f- a reflection of where I'm at with this game, which is that like, I think when this game first came out, I was like, they nailed it, and all I want to do is spend more time playing this game. And in the intervening period, some things have been added, but mostly what's been added is a lot of cracks in the facade, and some of that is probably a product of like having just played a bunch more of it. Um, and to an extent, I know that I'm fitting into the stereotype of like a long, angry uh, rant on Steam with like time played a thousand dollars or so, hours or something. Uh, but undeniably, like I I can't pretend that I'm enjoying this game as much as I was uh, two years ago. And that's not I don't think that's because of expectations. I think that's because two years ago, like this game worked better in a lot of ways and now i'm doing an awful lot of like it's like i have to edit the game as i'm playing it where it's like well i don't want to go there because i know that part's not working real well oh better not click that guy because that's all fucked up and that's kind of i don't know it's it's a less uh playful mode of engaging with a game i guess is the way i'd put it like i constantly feel like now i am trying to hold it together because left to its druthers, it will fall apart. I wouldn't necessarily go that far with it. I do think that like... So one of the difficulties in talking about video games in a critical fashion in any respect is that it's a lot easier to talk about individual things, mechanics, aspects, plot twists, just like a moment that stands out as its own entity compared to like the overall feel of the game. And what most of the expansions to Three Kingdoms have done is they've added a lot more individual things. And those individual things are pretty hit or miss or they're just not 
just by adding another thing without it being inherently really good, you know, gives us a locus to complain about. Um, yeah. Whereas actual time playing the game when I know how and where to play it, which is to some extent editing the game, like when I go and start a new Three, three Kingdoms campaign, I am not just like randomly clicking on a dude and being like, oh, seems fun. I'm like going through a mental checklist of, is this part of the map that I want to engage in? What time frame do I actually want to play this character in? Will it be too easy? Will it be too hard? Do I want to actually play the yellow turbans now or do I want to play them elsewhere? Which yellow turban should I, you know, there's there's all these things and like I know the answers to them at a certain level that does kind of have me playing in a samey kind of way. But when I still launch the game in one of those functional start dates in with a character that is going to be a part of the map that works, this game is still just really fucking entertaining. Just all this stuff that's added has given it a whole bunch of different ways to like not be entertaining. And I just have to, as you say, kind of self edit to realize that um, I know how to make this game work in a way that I will love. And there's a lot of it that exists in a way that I don't love. And, you know, that's, also just kind of a way that things go with this is what we talked about on the faction design show that we did last year or whatever uh having a bunch of diverse factions in diverse places on the map allows for you to not like some of them right like i know you and i have both had massive trouble with the skaven and warhammer 2 rob uh, yeah. where it just doesn't seem like they click with our brain. And you just, I think you said you made it work by making the difficulty lower. And I just stopped playing as the Skaven by and large. And, you know, I love playing as whatever other faction. I love playing as the Greenskins and that's fine. But also it does feel kind of disappointing that I can't engage with the Skaven or I can't engage with Dong Zhou or Ma Tung here. And I don't know, there's... That's not a thing that I feel like should determine how I feel about Three Kingdoms overall, but it kind of does. Right. It's, I was going to say, it seems like it seems like that at this point that all of us have played so much of it that we have now decided and cut up to cut up the game. And it's like, these are the parts that I enjoy and these are the parts that I enjoy. And, and I like... I like playing with this faction and this style and doing these things. And I don't like doing certain other things. And it's, it is interesting to see that, uh, you know, where we fall. Um, but, but yeah, it does seem like on the whole, the more content that they added, the further away they got from the core premise and the more we found things that we bumped off of. Yeah. It, and I don't know. That's, um, Maybe maybe that's true that like that's that's just a product of like how these games are going to evolve and how our experience with them will will change over time. Um, and honestly, like if there were fewer of these little like glitches that just kind of like you know persisted in corners of the game, I'd, I'd probably uh, still be much much higher on it. I think for me, it's just uh, yeah, it's it, it's so strange that a couple of years ago uh, this felt like maybe the most immaculately released uh total war game i've ever played and now i fire it up it's like yes ah hello darkness my old friend um 
and that's that's kind of where where I have ended up with this game a bit. But like when it's still when it's on, it's still all the way on. It's still an extraordinary game, uh, and I, I do hope the the weirdness of their announcement of what they're gonna do with this game aside, uh, I do hope eventually we we get the uh, Three Kingdoms game of our dreams, uh, and it doesn't just kind of trail off uh, with with a kind of cryptic announcement from creative assembly uh, and, and a sudden shutdown of the, of the roadmap. Um, all right, I think that will do it for this week's episode. Uh, this episode was produced by Leon Hafer. Uh, you can learn more about the, uh, about the show and, and support us on Patreon on patreon.com slash three MA. Uh, you should also check out the uh, action movie podcast that, brian rowan are about to do total massacre uh rowan where can people find it i.e what's that twitter id again uh it is patreon.com slash total massacre very easy to remember got the uh first pick that i wanted to do there there's no spaces no underscores unlike the twitter account which is at total underscore mass underscore pod which perhaps could be a lot of things. And uh, Brian, if people are in the Atlanta area and they want some good eating or some good trivia, where should they go? Yeah, you can come to Battle and Brew in, uh, in Sandy Springs. That's North Atlanta, and uh, you can get your you can get your food on or your trivia on. Trivia is every Wednesday uh, in person at 8 p.m. or on twitch.tv slash battlebrew because I live broadcast at the same time. So if you just want to play trivia and you're not anywhere near Atlanta, you can hop on to twitch.tv, go look for Battle and Brew, and then come join and play at 8 o'clock. And it's a lot of fun, even if it is fairly difficult. All right. Uh, well, thank you both so much for uh, attending this group therapy session about uh, Total War Three Kingdoms. Uh, good luck on your next recording. Uh, for Rowan, for Brian, this is Rob Zachney saying good night. Who would be the AC repair person in Three Kingdoms? Uh, it would have to be a utility person. Um, probably Tao Ren. I was gonna say Huang Gai. Uh, He's yeah. your all-purpose uh, engineer. Yeah, yeah. The, both of those guys are are real solid. Huang Gai is um. There's no naval battles in Total War Three Kingdoms, right? I'm Hang not. On. I didn't miss a whole thing, right? Kong yeah. Rong would definitely like overcharge you, though. Kong Rong <laughs> is a landlord. Yes, <laughs> Kong Rong is a landlord. <laughs> he's like he's got primo uh, upscale uh, walking distance apartments with restaurants on the bottom floor all around the empire, um, the capital city that he's ready to. Uh, rent out to young startup employees. <laughs> <laughs>